Good morning again, everyone. It's so great to be with you here today, the second in our series on good. And today we're looking at good fruit because God wants his people to bear good fruit. That means uh, simply that the good salvation that he's given to us is supposed to be lived out in our lives, just like a piece of fruit is the visible outworking of a tree, then the Christian life is supposed to be the visible outworking of what's in your heart as well. You see, if you praise God in here, you're supposed to praise God out here as well. But it's hard right now, isn't it? I mean, we live in a time of great unease and confusion, don't we? What's good? What's right? People shout their opinions into the air. If I disagree with you, you are my enemy. You are cancelled. There's no place for you here. Boycott this. Dismantle that. Protest. Everything is wrong. Every person in history has done things that are bad. Everyone is insecure and outraged. Social media gives everyone a voice, but not enough characters to have any kind of nuance in the way they speak, doesn't it? I mean, there are genuine social questions and problems that we need to reckon with as a society, aren't there? There are genuine and great injustices and hypocrisy that need to be understood and overturned. It's a hard time and a confusing time we find ourselves in. But without addressing any particular issue, it's worth realising that in our angst-driven world, it would be easy for Christians to withdraw to a place of isolation and even resentment, or perhaps even to just join in with the anger of the world around us as well. Well, I'm hoping that today's passage gives us comfort about the work that God has done in us and a realisation of the incredible fruit that we have to give to the world around us as well. When we come to our passage today, we find Jesus in the middle of a storm of controversy as he takes aim at the leaders of Israel. These guys are being hypocrites with their faith, allowing great injustice and oppression. In previous sections of what Jesus has been speaking to, he's pointed out that these Pharisees have shown favoritism to the rich, but they have oppressed the poor as well. They love others, but only people who are like themselves as well. They're generous, but only to those people who they know are going to pay them back. They love receiving compliments from people. And they're very adept at warning people about God's judgment for them without really looking at their own lives as well. Come to think of it, the situation may not be that different from the situation we find ourselves in today as well. But God wants good fruit from his people. And so Jesus finishes this little section with a beautifully short parable about good fruit and bad fruit. What starts as a warning for the Pharisees becomes an encouragement for us because God wants his people to bear good fruit. And there are two points to see from our parable here today. Firstly, the fruit is a product of the heart. And secondly... The fruit we show reveals the identity of the tree. So we're going to look at each of those two points uh, in turn. It'd be great if you had this Bible passage open in front of you. It's Luke chapter 6, 
verses 43 to 45. If you need a link and you're watching online, you might like to click on the link below. It'll take you to the Bible Gateway passage so you can follow along as well. Let me pray and then we'll get into God's Word now. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful privilege it is to be able to stand here this morning and to be able to consider your good word. Please help us to see the good work you've done in us. And please help us to desire to be good fruit in our lives. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, first of all, the fruit is the product of the heart. Have a look with me at verses 43 and 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil that is stored in his heart. Now, the first thing to see in our passage is that the person who assesses the goodness or the badness of fruit is God himself. And so in previous verses, as you go back to see what Jesus has said, he's been talking about how God has pronounced blessing on some people and woe on others as well. God is the one who sees what goes on in secret. He's kind to the ungrateful. He's the one who gives mercy to those who ask for it. And he's the one who gives a good measure of judgment as well. The illustration of the fruit and the trees is used right across the Bible. And in many, many places, we see very clearly that God is the gardener in each of those illustrations. He's the one who looks at the fruit. But not just on the outside, he's also interested on the inside as well. And as we can see in verse 43, in God's eyes, the fruit is never distinguished from the tree that it comes from. I mean, God never says, for example... I don't care why you did it. I'm just glad that you did. God assesses the motivations of the heart as he assesses the fruit that comes from the tree. Now, last week in particular, we saw that God has a specific way of what he thinks about when he says good. When God says good, he means just as it should be. It's five stars. It's perfect And you might remember from the story from last week, the one thing that the expert in the law got right and the thing that Jesus commended him for was when he quoted from the Old Testament and recognized that God's ultimate good came from a desire to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your soul and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love God other people. That is the good that God desires in our lives. And it's the fruit that he wants to see in the way that we live. Now, that word heart is an important concept in the Bible. If you like, when the Bible talks about heart, it is the center of a person. It's the core of who you are. It's the real you when everything else has been stripped away. That's the view that God can see. And the problem, we're told, when we read the Bible, is that we see that our default position is sin. Our hearts are corrupted towards God. We don't know Him perfectly. We don't love Him perfectly. And we don't even want God in our lives if it was left up to ourselves. We think that we can live in this world without the one who's made all of the world or the one who will come to judge the world as well. 
Our sinful hearts, if you like, kind of fool ourselves into thinking that we can be good without God. But God's standard of good isn't just good enough. It's not like, how did you go on the test? Eh, good. God's standard is perfection because God himself is perfection. And that means that even the best of our motivations will fall short of that standard. In this parable, if good is 100%, then even 99% is bad or evil from God's point of view. You might remember the Pharisees. They perfectly completed all the parts of the law, except their hearts didn't love God and didn't love their neighbor. And so God says, well, that fruit is bad. When we think about our own lives, we just multiply everything that comes out of our hearts, our motivations, our will, our speech, and our actions. We think about all the times we fall short in our uh, things that come out of us. And then we think about that happens every day of our lives and goes on and on and on. And we get to see just what a massive problem sin is in our lives. Incidentally, that is the reason why religion just doesn't work, right? I mean, the idea that somehow you could do something good for God and he would be impressed and he'd give you eternal life because of some good action that you've done, it doesn't make any spiritual sense, let alone any logical sense. You see, if we're going to produce good fruit, then actually what we need is a change of heart. And that's what God does in us when we become Christians. I try not to listen to anybody else's sermons when I'm preaching a sermon on a particular topic, but I did notice in my research on the internet that someone had entitled their talk on uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45 as, Good change is hot to do. And I thought, yep, that's a good title. I wish I'd thought of it as well. But that's really what's in play here. You see, as sinners... We actively and passively don't want God in our lives. And so, God actually has to work on us before we become believers in order to believe in the good news of Jesus. So at just the right time, Jesus sends his spirit to find us and start working on us. This is the process that the Bible calls regeneration, where the spirit works on us to prepare our hearts, to open our minds, to open our ears and open our eyes so that we are ready to receive the gospel. Our youth group here at Christchurch is called Regenerate. And it refers to that first step that God does in the process by which people get saved. See, the Spirit prepares us to receive the gospel. He readies us. And then He brings us into contact with God's word. We get to hear the good news about Jesus. And when our heart is ready and we see the good news and we hear the good news at that moment, then our hearts can only do what, uh, we, what they're able to do. We are irresistibly drawn to the good news about Jesus. We come to see Jesus for who he really is and who we really are as well. I'm a sinner. And Jesus, you are my saviour, please forgive me. The first Christian act in our lives is to repent and to believe. To turn away from sin and to ask forgiveness 
and to trust that Jesus has bought our salvation at the cross. I can remember becoming a Christian when I was 19 years old. And it's only in hindsight that I can look back and see all the ways that God was working on me in the lead up to me becoming a believer. I mean, it was no accident that my parents sent me to a Christian school even though they weren't Christians. It was no accident that I really wanted to do a psychology degree, a degree, as it turned out, which was uh, over-proportionally populated with Christian people. It was no accident that uh, one of the Christians in the group lived in the same suburb as me. And so we would catch the bus in every morning and we'd end up playing basketball together. There's no accident that I really actually wanted to go along to the church service. He invited me along to hear. There's no accident that my heart was ready to hear the good news on that particular occasion. There's no accident that I followed up and was asking questions in the Bible as well. The Spirit was working on me to prepare me as I heard the good news to be ready to receive it. And that's what the Spirit does. He helps us to repent and to believe. And at that moment that we repent and believe, at that very moment, we are sanctified. This is, again, another Bible word, very important Bible word. It's where God considers us to be holy. That is, God sets us apart as his people. And at that moment, the spirit who's been working outside of us comes into us, right down to our core, right into our hearts, to begin that process now of transforming us from the inside out. Our first reading today came from Psalm chapter 1. And we were told that the one who is blessed delights in the word of God. And we see the image of that person in verse 3 of Psalm 1. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. You notice there that the tree is planted. It doesn't uproot itself and go and walk across to where the living water is. Someone takes it from the ground over here and plants it over beside the living water. And so the living water then comes up inside the tree and nurtures it from the inside and prepares it to bear good fruit. When a person becomes a Christian, when they are connected to God's word and have God's spirit inside of them, well, then that becomes a good tree ready to bear good fruit. I hope you can see how we can be good trees, even though we are sinners. It's all come because of God's work. God wants us to be fruitful. And if he's the gardener, he does what he does with good plants. He prunes us. He cuts away dead things off us. He gets rid of the white ants that are infesting inside of us. He cuts off sections of our trunk, which are diseased if they need to. He'll even throw a net over the top of us so that the birds and the locusts don't come and destroy us. And the Holy Spirit stays with us. He continues with us to change our hearts so that increasingly we want what God wants. We desire what God wants. And we start producing good fruit that gives praise and honour to God above all. As we want that more and more, and as we do that more and more, that's a process that the Bible calls sanctification. When we become a believer, we are sanctified. And as we go on in the Christian faith, the Spirit helps us to live that out more and more. In the tree illustration, it's going from small fruit to big fruit. 
And then from singular fruit to um, bunches of fruit. From doing it once to doing it over and over and over again, season in and season in as well. The Spirit wants us to succeed. He wants us to bear fruit and He helps us out. And that's so joyful, isn't it? I mean, even when we go and do things with mixed motives, you know what the Spirit does? It takes what is good about our motivations and good about our actions and presents it to to God in heaven. He says, Heavenly Father, may this action honour you and bless you. And at the same time, he guides our hearts. Keep focusing back up on here. This is where we find our joy. Not over in these things. Let's do it for the Lord. And so the Spirit is working inside us all the time so that the fruit we bear is good for God and good for other people as well. He wants us to produce good fruit. He wants us to succeed. Now, of course, it is possible for Christians to continue to sin. I mean, that's particularly the case with young believers, people who've just become believers, because they're still trying to work out what the Christian faith looks like in different elements of their lives. And as a church of people around young believers, new believers in Jesus, we need to be merciful and kind, also clear, this is sin. We need to put this away. We need to come back and ask God for forgiveness and, and keep working on it. It's possible for mature Christians to allow sin to go unchecked, though, for a long period of time, isn't it? And to continue to sin. I mean, there's so many examples of where we see that. But in our culture, one of the insidious ones is obviously when uh, men and an increasing number of women are watching pornography where we're watching something over here that we know is unclean and we shouldn't be watching and we allow it to come into us and affect our hearts and change our emotions and our thinking about certain aspects of sexuality and how we use sex in our lives. We know that unchecked, that continues to play a part and influence the way that we think about these things. Another example in the church is when people never release bitterness or anger in their hearts. And so it just spills out. You know people, it might be you, where they're just negative and don't have to push very hard, but everything just kind of comes out. It's bitter, it's full of malice, it's full of slander. Even though people are calling themselves Christians as well. We need to know that nothing is hidden from God. You know what's going on in those moments? It's our heart and the Spirit of God wrestling each other. We shouldn't do it. We know we shouldn't do it. The Spirit's convicting us we shouldn't do it, but we do it anyway. It's a mercy, isn't it, that God doesn't just take over like we're robots in our heart. He works in us to change us from the inside out. But we need to read the first line of the parable with the due consideration it deserves. Jesus says, No good tree bears bad fruit. So it can't be this way with Christians, that we just sin as we like. We have to give over that sin, when we are convicted about it, over to the Spirit of God. Lord, please help me. Change me. Forgive me. The Spirit can start to work in that area of your life as well. One of the things the Spirit often does is connects us up with the church more deeply than we have been before. One of the things the Spirit does is kind of connects us up with people in the church who may be struggling in the same area that you are as well. It's kind of like he says, look, 
I'm working with others in this area. Why don't we get you guys together? And you can talk about it and pray about it some more as well. You see, God wants us to produce good fruit in our lives. And that means we need to put aside the bad fruit of the old way as well. He wants us to produce good fruit. And that fruit is the product of the heart. That's where the spirit resides. Brings us to our second point, that the fruit reveals the identity of the tree as well. We're going to have a look at verse 44 now, that middle verse. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs or from thorn brushes or grapes from briars. And this might seem like a very obvious example or a statement to say that you, in order to work out what tree you're looking at, you'll look at its fruit. But the fruits mentioned in verse 44 are not there by any accident. Figs and grapes are two of the fruits that God associates with his people in the Old Testament. Take Hosea chapter 9, verse 10, for example. God says, When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the early fruit of the fig tree. In our parable today, Jesus is saying that he wants people to bear good fruit and to be recognisable to others as being connected to God. In short, our Christian lives should come out of our Christian hearts. We're supposed to live out joyful and happy um, lives as an ongoing response to our relationship with God. The fruit is anything, then, that comes out of our regenerate hearts, whether it's our thoughts or our will or our actions or our speech. For a Christian, good fruit loves God and it loves our neighbour and it identifies us as Christians. We're supposed to be figs and grapes, not thorn brushes or uh, briars. And God helps us in every situation that we find ourselves in to bear fruit. There's a beautiful verse at the end of, uh, in the middle of Ephesians chapter 2, it's verse 10, where having just been told that we've been saved by grace and not by works, we get this amazing verse. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, you know what that means, of course, don't you? It means that there are no accidents. God is involved in any and every situation that we find ourselves in. When we're connected to other people, it's no accident that we happen to be there at the same time. God is involved. And our job as believers and as followers of Jesus is to work out what good fruit we can bear in that particular situation, in that place and at that time. And that's going to mean that we need prayer and wisdom as well, whether that's at the school gate uh, with other parents, or whether it's with uh, your friends on school holidays, whether you're on social media, talking about something that's going to be seen by all of your uh, connections, or whether it's opportunities at work with colleagues. These are all opportunities for good fruit that is recognisable that we've been saved by God. You notice, of course, that the Bible so often doesn't tell us what to do. In every situation. Sometimes God just tells us the character of what a good fruit looks like. In the book of Galatians, there's even a list of the fruit of the Spirit. We're told, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're not going to have time to get into all of those this morning, but I will just tell you quietly that our Senior Minister Dave is considering a sermon series in Term 2 next year on the fruit of the Spirit. Think that's a good idea? If you do, you should definitely spam his email while he's away and tell him that we should do that sermon series in, uh, in um, Term 2 next year. But we can see all of those characteristics come out in the way we're supposed to bear fruit that loves God and loves others. And if we want the ultimate example of who does this well, we look no further than the gospel and the story of Jesus, where we see Jesus perfectly loving God, perfectly loving his neighbour. He's the good neighbour, as we learnt about from last week. I want to finish by saying one uh, fruit of uh, spirit, uh, one characteristic of spirit-filled fruit that we must have in our lives in an ongoing way is repentance. Repentance is not just the first response we give to God when we become a Christian. It's the ongoing response as we continue to live out our Christian lives as well. When we stuff up, when we make mistakes, we know that part of our lives is the Spirit guiding us back to God to ask for forgiveness It's not because we suddenly find ourselves out of relationship with God. It's because we have a relationship with God that we keep coming back and making things right. Pastorally, sometimes you get the question from somebody, oh, how do I actually know I'm a Christian? And the answer I've come to to give now is, well, do you repent of your sin? Because it is the work of the Spirit to cause a person to repent. You can't repent without the Spirit of God. So if you're repenting of your sins, that's a little sign to you, an encouragement, even when you're sinning, that the Spirit's with you and He's working in your life. So as Christians, when it comes to our family and friends around us, our ongoing life of repentance means that we know the importance of restored relationships. When we make a mistake, we need to be the ones who say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that shouldn't have said that. That was the wrong thing. I apologize. When we're wronged, we know the importance of, I forgive you. Because we know that we have been forgiven by God. Living out a repentant attitude will make us more thankful when good things happen around us. And it will make us more merciful and humble and patient and kind towards people who are around us too. It'll make us more prayerful for those who don't know the overwhelming and life-changing love of God. I mean, this is the good fruit that we can show in an age of shouting, outrage, insults, and cancellation. A few verses before our passage, Jesus has told the Pharisees, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. I mean, where are you going to get the resources to love your enemies? Well, from our passage today, a good man brings up the good things out of the good stored in his heart. That's where the Spirit is. And he has unlimited resources to help us to bear good fruit for God in all of our lives. Jesus finishes our passage today by saying, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I wonder, what what do you 
talk about. Our world is filled with division and hate and anger. What are your words filled with? Is it love and joy and forgiveness? Social media is filled with sarcasm, put-downs, abuse and trolling of other people. What does your feed say about you? Is it filled with good fruit that comes out of a good heart? What do you talk to God about? Is it words of prayer asking that the Spirit would work on your friends and family so that they might come to believe in the God of all the universe? Well, brothers and sisters, we have so much fruit to give to the world around us. We have the Spirit in our hearts. And you have to say, it's pretty, what's the word? Good. I'm going to finish by praying a prayer up on the screen together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit who brings us to your good salvation in Jesus and then enables us to bear good fruit in our lives. Please help us to glorify you with all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.